0: I would encourage you to turn with me this morning to the Old Testament book of Ezra. A lot's happened since since I was here last. Vicky and I have been gone for uh, a couple of Sundays on, on vacation. Actually, since I left, uh, the ten tribes of the north have been captured by Assyria. Two tribes of Judah in the south have been taken by Babylon and we see that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego survived the fiery furnace. Uh, Daniel made it through the lion's den and Israel has now been, or Judah has now been living in uh, Babylon for about seventy years. So a lot has taken place and Just to kind of give you a picture of how this, if you can kind of, just wanted to give you a picture of how this works. We've got ten tribes of Israel that is captured by Assyria. Then a few years later, we see Judah, the two tribes down there, is captured by Babylon. And then what happens is Babylon captures the north. They defeat Assyria. So now Babylon has Assyria and Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, you saw that, as Belshazzar was celebrating his feast, the Persian Empire made their way into the aqueducts and defeated Babylon. So now we see Persia has taken over Babylon, Assyria, Israel and Judah. And so a lot's taken place in, uh, over these last few weeks. This brings us to a spot in the story, which is the book of Ezra. And so it's there that we're going to look this morning. Judah has been in exile for 70 years. And now we hear something that is pretty amazing. In fact, this is really unbelievable what's going to happen next. Although if you've been following the story, uh, there's quite a few unbelievable things that happen in the story. Like waters turning to blood, and seas being parted, and manna coming down from heaven, and quail. And we see that God is a pretty miraculous God, and you really can't put anything past Him. And so this morning we see another amazing, amazing thing that happens. This is in the first chapter of the book of Ezra. and I'm just going to read it, invite you to follow along. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, remember now Persia has captured all of Israel and Judah, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. So what happens here is God takes a king and does something in his heart, moves in such a way that he says something that no king has ever said who has captured uh, Israel and Judah. Most kings, what happened was when they captured them, they destroyed everything about them. They went in, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem. And now listen to how God moves in the heart of Cyrus. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, he's talking to the Jews now, may his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So God moves in this king's heart, and he moves him to invite any Israelite that wants to to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple just an amazing thing. And so we see here that what makes this amazing is that this is part of part of the prophetic word of God here that's going on. And you know we haven't looked a lot at this, but I think this is really important. Because you may be in a conversation with someone, some of you may be sharing the gospel with someone, you say, "Well, why do you believe this is true?" And you say, "Well, because that's what the Bible says." Well, how do you know the Bible? There's lots of books. there's the Quran, there's other spiritual writings. there's all kinds of writings. What is so special about the Bible? Well let me just share one of those things. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 10, we read this. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25. And we see here, it says, I will banish from them sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt. It will make it desolate. So basically what we have here is a prophecy that for 70 years that Israel will be in this state and and then God is going to do something. So this is part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. I think even more amazing is from the book of Isaiah chapter 44 and let me just read to you. This prophecy Isaiah 44:24 This is what the Lord says Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb I am the Lord who's made all things and who alone stretched out the heavens and who spread out the earth by myself who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense who carries out the words of his servants and f- fulfills the predictions of his messengers Who says of Jerusalem. It shall be inhabited and of the towns of Judah. They shall be built. And of their ruins I will restore them. Who says of of watery deep be dry and I will dry up the streams. Who says. Now listen to this. Who says of Cyrus. Cyrus is the king of Persia. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem. Let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now let me remind you that this was, written, this was written probably 20 years before Cyrus was even born. So before Cyrus was even born, before anyone knew that he would even become king of Persia, that he would do what he did... The prophecy says there will come a king by the name of Cyrus and he will call my people back to Jerusalem to rebuild it and lay its foundations. And that is precisely what happens in the book of Ezra. And by the way, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament uh, we can look at. That's why, that's one of the reasons, one of the objective reasons why I I base my life on this book. There's no other book like this. There is no other book that has the miraculous prophetic writings and the fulfillment that we find in the Scripture. And so this morning is just another one of those. So here's what happened. 50,000 Jews make their way back to Jerusalem. It's been 70 years. So just imagine if you're 80, which is very old back then, if you're 80 years of age... And you make the journey, and by the way, which was 900 miles back from Babylon. Imagine what it would be like, because you were 10 years old when you left. If you were 85, you were a teenager. And so imagine what it's like now to be going back and, and walking in by, by the Mount Olives and down the Kindred Valley and then walking up and seeing the temple in utter ruins. And it tells us that when they laid the first foundations of the new temple, that there was weeping and wailing. The people that hadn't been there, it says, were weeping out of joy. And the people that had been there as young children were weeping for a different reason. Maybe it was because they just realized uh, in a much deeper way what was going on here. So here they come. Ezra... Chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to what happens. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets and the Levites with their symbols took their praises places to praise the Lord as described by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they said, He is good, His love is His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise of the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It said, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish between the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. Because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard very far away. So can you, can you just picture this scene? These people come back and, and, and they get to work and they, they lay the, probably the first foundational stones around the building. And then they step back and, and the people that had been there before are like weeping because it is so moving to them. And those that have never been there are shouting for joy because this temple process has begun. But then the opposition sets in. There are people that are trying to discourage them from continuing on. You know, that's always the way it is when God calls you to do something. You ever notice that? God calls you to do something. It seems like all hell breaks loose to try and stop you from doing what God's called you to do. That's exactly what happens here. And so there's opposition from people. And we, we see here as, as we go on, chapter 4, verse 13. There's a group of people that, that went back to the king of Persia. Now a different king than the one that had, we talked than Cyrus. A different king comes in and, and so a bunch of them went back and it's, this is what they said to the king said, the king should know that the Jews who came to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, the royal revenues will suffer, and now since we are under obligation to the palace... And it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored. We are sending this message to inform the king. So people went and they said, do you realize what's going on? These people are back here. They're rebuilding the city. They're going to become strong. They're going to rebel against you like they did before. And they're, they're not going to pay any taxes to you. And so this king issues and uh, sends some people there and says, goes back and says, you have to stop. And so they stopped. They stopped. And they went back home, and they looked around their houses. They said, "Now what do we do? We might as well remodel our own houses. Uh, we need a new bedroom here. We need a, a deck out back. Uh, there's work to do." And they basically set aside the work on the temple, and were about their own work. Ezra five one. Now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So it's 16 years since they were weeping and shouting, and now the work has ceased. 16 years. God raises up Haggai, and so we turn over to that little book, because it doesn't tell us in, in the book of Ezra exactly what he says. But Haggai is very clear. So if you turn to Haggai, which is a, a very hard book to find. I had to go to my index to find it. It's the third book back. It's Malachi, Zechariah, and then Haggai. So it's very close to the end of your Old Testament. There's only two chapters. It's like on one, one and a half pages in your Bible. But here is the message that Haggai gave to Israel in this situation. Read verses 2 through 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It's obvious. They told us we couldn't build it. We can't build it. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You might want to underline that. That's a really, that's something we should do quite often. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have you fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a room, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. So these are the words of Haggai. He says, You know what? You, you ceased making a priority building the temple of God, and, and you're just into your own stuff. And because of that, because of that, you know, you, it's, it's not like they were failures. It's like you, you, have, you have your food, but, you, but it's not enough. You have this emptiness in your life. You have this leanness in your life. And what you do have never seems to be enough. And it's because you've neglected to do what I called you to do. And so in Ezra 5, we see that the people respond and the Lord works in their hearts. And so what they did was they sent a group of people back to the king. And they said, you know what? If you'll go back and look, you'll see that during the reign of King Cyrus, there was an edict given commanding us as Israelites to go back and to rebuild the temple. And so they they brought this message, and it says now in in chapter 5, verse 17, Now if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And then let the king send us his decision in this matter. So in chapter 6, they found It says, in the first year of king of Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to prevent sacrifices. Let its foundations be laid. And he gives the dimensions of all this. And sure enough, there it was. And so the king looks at this and he says, moreover, here's what he said. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of the house of God, The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury. Amazing. He goes on, he talks about all the resources that he's going to give them. And then in verse 11, he says, Furthermore, I decree if anyone changes this edict, a beam is to be pulled from his house and he's to be lifted up and impaled upon it. So, the people step out in faith. They get back about building it. They go to the king They make the request, and God moves and works, and they are again given the full go-ahead to do this. And we see that the people rally around it, and they build the temple, rebuild and construct the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 22, chapter 6, it says... At the completion for seven days they celebrated with the joy of the feast of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria and he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. So there's a story. So let's talk about the upper story. Let's talk about what's going on here. Because we see here there's something really important to understand. And here's the question that that I have, maybe you have. What is so important about the temple? I mean, you go back. As soon as Israel gets out of, crosses the Red Sea, what does God do? In the book of Exodus, he talks about, he gives them the law, and then he talks about this tabernacle, this moving tent. It's like a portable temple. If you read through the Exodus, you'll find that 25%. Of everything written in Exodus is about the tabernacle. The measurements, what it was to look like, how they were to build it, you know, all of this stuff, how they what they were to do in it. There is a lot written about the tabernacle. Then we see in the life of David when he comes along and, and asks and, and God gives him the, the vision to build a permanent temple. And then Solomon builds the temple. And and it seems to be such a a priority that that this is done. Then the Babylonians come in and destroy the temple, and now God is calling his people back to rebuild the temple and that they're to make it a priority before they even rebuild uh, their own homes. And we'll see that Herod the Great will come along after this temple has been rebuilt in 20 years before Christ. He'll dismantle it, And move it to a place where he can build a bigger temple. It'll take him 85 years. It's completed in 65 AD, and five years later, it will again be destroyed. And you know what? It's not over because prophetically we read that before Christ returns, the temple will once again be rebuilt. So, what's the deal with the temple? Is God into buildings? Uh, the answer to that question is, is very, very important. If you don't understand this, uh, you won't understand the story. The, this thing with the temple is, is one of the most critical things. This is where God's story intersects your story and my story. And so, why is this temple so important? Well, let me just mention three things. If you were to go to the book of Numbers, <clears throat> you would probably just breeze over Numbers chapter 2. It's just the signing of all the tribes, and you probably never thought much about it. But it's interesting. He says, okay, I want three tribes to settle to the south of the tabernacle. And then I want three tribes to settle to the west side of the tabernacle. And I want three tribes to settle to the north. Of the tabernacle, and I want these three tribes to settle to the east of the tabernacle. And all of a sudden, you realize that the tabernacle is where? It's right in the middle of God's people. And when you move, I want you to move it. And I want the temple to be in the middle of whatever's going on, I want it always to be in the middle. And so what's in the tabernacle, as you condense it down, in the very center of that is the Holy of Holies, which which represents what? The presence of God. And so what we see is, is that God wants to be in the middle of our lives. God wants to be in the middle of your life. He doesn't want to be on the edge. He wants to be right in the middle. Everything you do, God wants to be in the middle of your life. His design from the very beginning has been for us to be in the midst of his presence. You must understand that the tabernacle represents the presence of God. God wants to be present in your life. He wants to be present in in what's going on. And, And the entire story, this entire story is about God... Uh, taking a creation which has been removed from his presence from sin and bringing us back into his presence so that he can be in the middle of our lives. That's the first thing that we see in the story. That's what God's interested in. He's interested in being in the middle of your life. When we have a big broom ball gathering i may have shared this before but i'll share it again we had a big broom ball gathering down in new year's day every year in point and we all get together and we we usually have a couple of the best guys get up and pick sides you know how that is and they pick all the they pick all the best people and and then and then uh <clears throat> gets down to the the lesser ones we have a lot of you know men and women playing and there's probably 20 people there so we played for a while and it was a little uneven so we said well let's Pick new captains and repick so we can get things more even, okay? And so so and so, why don't we have a couple of the gals pick? So we got two gals up there, and the first gal picked a guy, which made sense. And then she picked this this young gal who, I mean, really was not not a real good broomball player. And and the guys are kind of watching them go through these picks and they're kind of going, guy, gal, guy, gal, we're going. what's what's going on? These sides don't even look like they're going to be that fair. And I think one of the gals caught on and she said, I wanted the dads to be with their daughters. And what we realized was going is that guys pick sides so you can win. Girls pick sides so you can have relationships on the team that will be meaningful. And you know what? That's one of the ways that women reflect the image of God. Because God isn't all that interested in your successes and your winning. You know what God's interested? He's interested that he will be in the middle of your life, that you will experience his presence. In fact, he will thwart many things in our lives to get us back into his presence. Whenever something starts to pull us away out to the out to the edge, he will often pull the rug out from under us and we're going, God, what's going on in my life? And and God is trying to bring us back. So his presence is central in our lives. Very, very important thing that if you're going to understand your life and what God's doing in your life, understand he wants to be in the middle of your life. Here's the second thing the temple represents. You know what they did in that temple? Day and night, ongoing, ongoing. They brought animals and they killed them and put their blood on the altar. Continually, what was happening? Sacrifice for sin, sacrifice for sin, sacrifice for sin. What is the message God's trying to get through? Sin is a very serious issue. God wants us to know our sin's a big problem. We think it isn't a big problem. It's a big problem for a just God. Because God can't overlook any sin. Not if he's just. Sin is what separated us from God. It's, what, it, it, it's, it's something that distances us from God's presence and gets in the way of God's goal and design for our life. And the temple was a continual reminder that sin has to be paid for. You can't ignore it. It has to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with through sacrifice. Sacrifice. You know, one of the scariest things I see in our day is this casual attitude towards sin. When you read through the Bible, one of the things I hope you're seeing is that sin, there's nothing casual about sin. It has, the stakes are great. Adam and Eve sinned once. It dramatically changed everything in life. It changed the whole earth through one sin. God then came along and destroyed all but one family. Why? Because of sin. We see him destroying the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of sin. We see Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, impaled on a cross. Why? Because of sin. And we see Jesus warning people over and over and over and over again about the dangers of hell. Why? Because sin is very real and its consequences are very real. The temple is meant to continually remind us that sin must be atoned for. And then thirdly, we see the temple is a continual reminder that God is providing a way to experience forgiveness through sacrifice. And so there's these two threads that we've seen now running through the story. One is consequence for sin, consequence for sin, significant consequence for sin. But the other thread is this, that no matter how bad, no matter how much sin, no matter what Israel does... God is always open to providing forgiveness through their repentance. There's never a place that you can go to where God will not call you back if we are willing to come. And that comes, the forgiveness comes through sacrifice. And it's looking ahead to a sacrifice which is really going to be the the culmination of the story in the coming of, of Jesus Christ. So that's why the temple is so important. That's why God wanted there to remind people that he wants to be in the middle of them, but that their sin is something that is continually, it's a serious issue, it needs to be dealt with, and that God is providing a way to deal with it. That's a powerful, powerful message. So what about the temple today? Is God interested in buildings? Well, look what happens in, in the temple after Christ comes. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. <clears throat> Do you not know that your body, now listen to this, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now your body is a temple. So, in the Old Testament, God's presence was where? It was in the Holy of Holies in this building. Now, where is the presence of God? To the work of Christ, to the coming of his Spirit. Now the presence of Christ. This is amazing. This was, is this was what, what the Old Testament prophesied and looked forward to. The day when, the Spirit, when God would dwell in the hearts of men. Look at Ephesians two nineteen to 22. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become, listen to this, a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You know what this is this morning? This is the temple. This is the temple. We are now, as the church, God is building his temple. And and God's desire is to live in our midst, and that we would experience his presence when we come together in our midst. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. One more, 2 Peter 2, 4, and 5. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now we do what the Old Testament temple did. We're being built up into a spiritual house where we offer sacrifice. Look, at we have it today, the table before us. We are here acknowledging and acknowledging sacrifice which has atoned for our sin. This is the temple of God. So let me conclude. How do we apply this to our lives? Two things. Number one, we are to devote ourselves to the building of the temple. In Ezra's day, the people were about their own stuff and and they didn't give priority to the temple of God. The same lessons for us today. The temple of God needs to be a priority in our lives. The building of the church, the building of the kingdom should be first and foremost priority in our lives. And when we don't, we become lean in our lives. And all the things, God, God brings a leanness to our soul when we don't make the building of his temple, of his church, a priority in our lives. So that's the first thing. We need to devote ourselves to the building of that temple. And the second thing, in, in terms of application, is that we need to be people that are seeking after the presence of God. We need to understand that God is wanting to us to experience His presence in the very center of our lives. That He wants you to experience His presence. That He's provided atonement for your sins so you can experience His presence. That this is what you were made for. It's what it's what you long for in your heart. Let me conclude with this. I went uh, on on a vacation. I I took our boy, my two grandsons, camping. Uh, Camping or cramping, same, two different words. But it was a great experience, and we took them out, and and Judah had never, you know, they're 9 and 7, Judah had never been uh, overnight in the tent. So we went out, and and we went out in the lake, and we fished, and we caught these huge fish, you know. And, uh, and, And then they got to steer the boat. We had an electric trolling motor. I mean, that's really cool when you're six to be able to, seven years old, to be able to steer the boat. And I, uh, <clears throat> I let them set up the tent themselves, and uh, that, was, that was interesting. We, I let them struggle for, uh, they thought the fly was the main tent, and the tent was the fly. And <clears throat> so it was, it was quite an experience for them. We had, uh, they got to build a fire, and I taught my grandsons how to build a fire. Very important to teach your <clears throat> grandchildren how to build a fire in the wilderness and we we had hot dogs and we made our own hot dog buns around the fire that's really cool and and they were really good and we saw the stars at night and we just had a, a lot of experiences and then we had uh, on sunday morning we were there because we were camped out on saturday night and sunday morning i said okay we're gonna have church now in the morning. So everybody has to have a song and a message and a prayer. And so we went around and and uh, we, I, I told the story of Solomon and, and how God came to him in the middle of the night and said, I'll give you anything you want. And how Solomon asked him for the wisdom to, to rule the people. <clears throat> and so I asked the boys, I said, so if God said that to you, what, what would you want? And I, would, I know Judah loves Legos. <clears throat> and so I was expecting uh, something along that line. And he said, if I had a wish from God, he, he said, I would ask that I would be able to go through hard things. That God would give me the ability to go through hard things. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I said, I thought it would be Lagos. Legos. He said, well, if, I was, if it was a person I'd ask for Legos, because they can't give me anything else, but if it was God, I'd want to ask for something more. Pretty. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm taking notes now on, <clears throat> on, on, on my message. But, but we went around, and, and then so we were all done, and we came back that night, and I said, so boys, what was the favorite, what, what was your favorite thing about the campy trip? And Because uh, we did a lot of stuff, a lot of new stuff. And Judah says, my favorite part of the camping trip was church in the woods. So why did he say that? I'll tell you why he said that. Because in the heart of everyone, even a seven-year-old, is this spot that only God can fill. There's a spot in you and, and there's a spot in me that, that only the presence of God will satisfy. And so we're out there and there's, <clears throat> there's no worship team and there's no PowerPoints and there's no Sunday bulletins and it's just a grandpa and two grandsons singing off key. And, and yet something very profound is happening because we're experiencing the presence of God so this morning I, I challenge you that uh, you know that's what God desires for your life that's what you were made for that's why Jesus Christ came so that God could live smack dab in the middle of your life And that's my hope that's my prayer uh, for each of us this morning that we would hear this message God is, is speaking to us Father today we thank you for this lesson from, from your word today, we thank you for just the amazing truth that, that you want to be with us, and that, that our sin has put this huge barrier between you and, and your presence because you're just a holy, awesome, perfect God and You're a just God, and our sin is so serious before you. And in your great love, you have dealt in such a profound way with that sin through the cross and through Christ's coming and through his death, his burial and his resurrection, that you have provided a way to remove that burial in our lives so you can again come and dwell in the very center of our lives. So, we're here to celebrate that truth today. Father, perhaps there are some people that are here today to, to come into an experience of that truth today through simple faith in the work and the person of Christ, receiving Him as their own righteousness, as the forgiveness of their sin. Father, we, we pray that that might be the experience of every one of us in this place today. And so, we just worship you now uh, around your table. Lord, In this temple, in this spiritual house, we come together to recognize this sacrifice which is atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so we rejoice in this today and and pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.